Hello and welcome to part two of our recap of CEO Stories Season 1. I'm Henrietta Brody, Chief Executive of the Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce and host of CEO Stories, the podcast where we explore the journeys of some of the region's leading and up-and-coming CEOs. A common theme from Season 1 was that some of our Chief Executives had found themselves thrust into centre stage, sometimes in rather unusual circumstances. Deb Leary, the founder of Forensic Pathways and president of the Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce, is partial to a bit of stand-up comedy in her spare time. In episode one, she recalls being thrown in at the deep end to deliver her first stand-up set as part of the group Funny Women. And then I'm, I'm involved with um, Funny Women, which was uh, set up by a fabulous women, woman called uh, Lynn Parker. Funny Women encourages and supports new uh, female comedic talent coming through but also importantly it works with businesses to help women find their authentic voice um, and, and give them the confidence in terms of presenting and, and just giving them more confidence really to have a voice you know I think we when we were at school we're, we leave our personality outside the classroom door sometimes um, because that's what we're taught to do we have to conform and you know i think that carries on into into the world of work and when you you are presenting i think it's sad if you leave your personality outside that door uh that's that's what people are coming to see they're coming to see you and they're coming to hear about your experiences so um so yeah i've got i have great fun with funny women it's a, a fabulous organization though doing stand-up comedy for the first time was slightly terrifying <laughs> How did how did that happen? How did you end up doing stand up comedy for the first time? Uh, it, it was very cruel of Lynn Parker. We were at a a a, um, a, a meeting in London. I had not met her before, and it was a women in business event. And she happened to say that she was doing a charity challenge, getting business women who had never done comedy before to raise money for charity. And I was rushing for a train, so she said, "Would I do it?" And I just said yes. And I never thought about it. And then the next thing I knew, I was having to write my script for uh, my sort of five minute stand up and having to perform it in front of a panel of about three. And remember, the, the set started off really positively and they were laughing a lot. And then halfway through, it started to flag and nobody was laughing at anything. And basically, I said, well, I'll stop there, shall I? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll cut that bit out. And then... And then I had to perform it at a hotel in London. I think there was about 250 people there. And um, I was the first one on, so uh, no pressure. <laughs> can, you, can you remember your best joke? Um, yeah, it was... <laughs> it was um, uh, actually, it was about uh, my speech impediment, because I do have one. Um, and um, it was... Uh, because uh, I was, it was a London audience. I said uh, a lot of people don't realise it, but I have got a speech impediment. This is naturally, this is a Birmingham accent, and um, and and then uh, I said, actually, no, I, I really do have a speech impediment. Um, when I was younger, I couldn't say anything with the words beginning with F, S, or T. Um, but when I got married, I, I sort of got cured. <laughs> Um, and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> While performing may not have been Deb's first career choice, I did have the chance to speak to another business leader who very much chose to take centre stage. 
CJ Lloyd-Webley is a writer, director, entrepreneur and founder of the Black Pounds Project. As you'd expect, CJ is a brilliant storyteller and here is one of his best when he discussed writing, performing and receiving a critique of his very first play. I always tell a story about when I, uh, so my first play was called Shadows and I'd set it in America initially and like I say, I mentioned at uni, I'd started to experience rejection in terms of a like acting perspective like not getting roles and stuff but I hadn't experienced someone critiquing my writing which was a whole different ball game because I'm like that's my heart and soul on there you know you can't tell me that's not you know um that's not that doesn't mean anything or would you're not sure what that means because I'm like well that's my heart and soul so that's what it is um so I remember my, the, the one of the first sessions I'd, I'd um I'd drafted like a, a short kind of five minute piece around uh three black men in, in Winston Green Prison in Birmingham. And um, no, actually at this point, I'd set it in America. So I'd, I don't know what the prison was, but I'd set it in America. And the director kind of read through it. It was like, oh, that's you know really interesting concept, you know. But why have you set it in America? You know, there are issues here. Why don't you set it in, in the UK? And I was like, well, I like Shawshank Redemption. You know, that's that's the kind of stuff that I know. You know, I, didn't, I hadn't seen anything like this in the UK, so that's why I'd written it like that. And I started to get on the defensive, and he was like, I'm not attacking you, I'm just asking you, you know, when you write stuff, people are going to ask, people are going to have an opinion on your work, that's that's the purpose of it. If people don't give you an, a, an opinion, then it means they don't really care about it. And so he really helped to shift my perspective on what critique was, because obviously, once I did end up getting this, this play produced, and... Um, the whole thing about that was crazy as well because once I did set it in a UK context, I was having a conversation with my friend in in Nando's, I think, and a guy called Kevin, shout out Kevin, he's in America now setting up his own production studio, but he basically said to me, he he said, um, you know, uh, I really like the the sound of that. That that sounds really cool. Um, if you can get that to me by you know get a first draft to me in the next month or so, you know, we can we can probably put that on in December. And I was like. Yeah, I don't think this guy's serious, but I thought I'm not gonna, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Let me just let me just write it and and see what happens. So bearing in mind, the only play that I'd written up until that point was was the one that was like about white spirit and and um, that was only ten minutes. So I was now trying to write a full length play, having only just gotten to my course. I hadn't even learnt really about you know how to how to structure it and whatnot. I was just literally just pouring out onto the page you know conversations between three black men from different walks of life but all part of the black cultural experience and and it was a really interesting piece but again I hadn't written a full-length piece written a full-length piece so how do you stretch that out so I think I, I gave it to him in really large font I think the font was about 16 <laughs> 16 and it was like I think it was about 40 pages I was like yeah 40 pages he was like, uh, yeah, you know, you got some good stuff here, but it's, you know, it needs to be about seventy pages. I was like, seventy pages, and he was like, it needs to be twelve font as well. I was like, twelve font? How am I gonna? So anyway, he really helped and guided me through the process, um, and he did stick to his word and he did produce it in in the in the December, and I think it costed about twenty thousand pound. And for me, you know, I know that that place cost can cost a lot more than that, but this was a three night run at Theatre Trek. No, Triacho Technis in King's Cross 
And, um, you know, I got all my friends down from Birmingham. My family came and watched it. And I think that was the first time when my family really saw what this was about, you know, you know, and I saw the pride in, in, in my parents' eyes because how on earth did I just come from Birmingham and get a play produced in the same year? Like, that's just unheard of. And there's people that have been in this industry for years, decades, and have never had a play produced. So for someone to meet me in Nando's, just hear me over a conversation and then just say, I'm going to put 20 grand to put your work on. Um, and it ended up getting four and five star reviews. You know, that that was kind of the start of, of, of the passion for me. Um, but then, you know, there's all one when you're on a high, there's always a come down. And, and um, I thought, you know, we're going to get this play produced. You know, it's going to go on tour and whatnot. But you know, it didn't work out like that. I got rejected from quite a few things after that. But, you know, that that situation you know I thought if not just for myself but just for the fact that Kevin believed in me I have to believe in myself now because somebody's put up their hard-earned cash to to you know get me to a certain place and obviously he was directing it as well and producing it so he was getting you know his his um uh, name out there too but I just thought that was something that was very rare to me and I know that there's um you know so many people that that would have really relished that opportunity so I just thought you know moving forward I'm gonna I'm going to do this and ironically the play that I had on at the rep I actually was able to return the favor because I got him to design it I got him to design the set so yeah years a few years later I've been able to return the return the favor to him so that that was that was quite special. The story of McDonald's franchisee Doug Wright's inspirational journey has become well known to many in West Midlands business circles But after marking his 40th anniversary with McDonald's, Doug unexpectedly reached a new and much wider audience. In episode six, he describes learning that, much to his surprise, his story had gone viral, earning newspaper coverage and hundreds of thousands of impressions on social media channels, including the Lad Bible. I agreed to do one small interview, which was organised by a journalist at the Birmingham Evening Mail. So it kind of like went along the lines of, we did this interview and he was really fascinated about somebody who was the cleaner on 93 pence an hour, could own 20 restaurants. And he sort of really delved into it. But it was a guy called Nick Horner, Birmingham Mail. And I remember we did it and he said, could I share this story? And I said, look, you can share it. But, you know, I don't really get myself. So I didn't really see it as that much of a thing. So... I literally went to bed on the 31st of July, woke up on the or the 31st of, um, what it would have been, 30th of June, yeah, 30th of June. And I woke up on the 1st of July and like literally I thought there'd been, you know, an incident or something because I had so many, me- so many messages. But the really, really odd one was I'd missed loads of calls from my son and daughter. So get up and I tried to ring them, but it was I'm a real early starter in the morning. So eventually I started looking forward and there were people that I hadn't spoken to, some for like 20 or 30 years. And they're saying, oh my gosh, you, your news is broken on social media. And I think it was at around about five or six million views on Instagram. And then the, the bit that the kids love, my son and my daughter, was that it was endorsed on Lad Bible. And I think it sort of trended at number one on Lad Bible for about a week and it had 152,000 likes. So it was just amazing to sort of hear from people that... I've even heard from people I started work with in the first week in Bedford 
And um, yeah, I think it's really nice because sometimes you think about people dwell on the negatives, but, you know, my small story, it certainly went everywhere and recognised at airports. I've been going to Costa and Mir Green for a very, very long time. And um, the lady announced it to everyone in the queue, which was pretty embarrassing. You know, people are kind, but... Yeah, I don't. Th- I I really didn't expect the sort of impact. It was in the sun, the mirror, and um, my ninety-three-year-old aunt rang me up. And um, Saturday morning, the phone rang. Came up, Auntie Jean. So I answered it, and she goes, "How do you know it was me?" And I said, "Because your number's in the phone." And I, I was kind of dreading what she had to say because I thought it'd be bad news. And she said, "Oh, you're on the front of the Daily Record." And she said, I think your mum would be really proud, but I think your dad would be really embarrassed. So that's sort of pretty good, a good, a good, good ground in there. But, yep, it was surreal, the amount of people that became involved, read the story. And even now, you know, I was at Aston Villa last night and I was coming out of the bathroom and a bloke said, you're Douglas Wright. And I saw, you know, on Lad Bible, and I said, that's right, I am indeed. So, no, all kindness. And I think it kind of proves that, within McDonald's and it gives hope to young people that as you go into business that if you have the right culture you care that you are able to you know create a story similar to mine. We've talked about being in the media spotlight and operating in pressure cooker environments so it's only appropriate that we finish with our very own TV chef. My penultimate season one guest, Liam Dillon, is chef owner of Michelin Recommended, the Boat Inn in Lichfield. We got to hear about his appearances on the BBC Two show, The Great British Menu. Well, on the topic of high pressure environments, you, you've competed not just once, but twice in the BBC's Great British Menu, haven't you? Um, how was that experience? How, how, do you, how do you manage under that pressure? <laughs> what was it all like? Um, very surreal. First, When I went on there first, it was very surreal. You walk into that kitchen and you see all the, the, the branding and the signs and everything. And, you know, I've been watching that show for, for years and all through my cooking career. And yeah, it's very daunting. Um, nobody has to nobody has to really rattle you because you kind of rattle yourself just being there. So it's um, it was good fun. And looking back, it is it's great. Um, but yeah, it's um, I actually as a uh, my old head chef. Um, said before you go on, give me a call and I'll give you some pointers. And I was like, nah, nah, I don't need to give him a call. I don't want to call in that favour. Um, but I should have done because it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting experience. Thank you for listening to part two of our season one recap. Don't forget, you can hear all 12 episodes wherever you get your podcasts and CEO Stories will be returning in January for a brand new series. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at GRB Ham Chambers or Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm.